Good morning, everybody. I am continuing a series called Heirs with Christ. But before I jump into that, just a quick reminder, uh, we will no longer be doing our service live stream. Today is our last live stream service. So if you want to see us live, you have to actually come here and be present with us and so you can see us. Our sermons will still be recorded, and they will be put out by Tuesday morning. So if you want to check it out during the week, if you happen to miss something, you want to catch up, it's, it's online. Also, some of you guys may not know this, but I put up the slides that we do on our Sunday morning. We put a PDF out on the website. So if you want to go back and look at some of the scriptures and study like context and that kind of stuff, uh, we put that on there every single week so you can find that and take a look at that. All right, so I'm going to jump right in. Last week, we talked about um, a couple things, but one of the primary things was we talked about how our inheritance um, is not from the law, but from grace. And so that's a really big deal. So Galatians 3.24, we talked about this last week. It says, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So the law had a job to do, but it wasn't to justify us. So trying to live by the rules that God gave us was... The whole point behind it was to show you that you couldn't live by the rules that God gave you. <laughs> how many of you. For how many of you guys, was that new? Anybody that was kind of new and you're like, I never heard that before in my whole life. Sometimes we go to church and we, we, we find this thing where it's like, okay, I'm supposed to follow the rules. I'm supposed to do this so that God will be pleased with me. And how many of you guys know that's not how that works? <laughs> the whole idea is that God is pleased with us because of what his son did on the cross. He paid that price. So as Karen mentioned as she was opening, all the barriers, all the things that were in the way, all the sin that kept us far from God, Jesus paid that price for us so that we could draw near. And then by us drawing near and being in God's presence, the whole point behind that is he gives us a new heart. I'm going to get into that in just a second. He changes us from the inside out, not the outside in. That's what religion does. But Jesus changes us from the inside out. He gives us a new heart. And from that new heart now, we can begin to live out the beauty of God's holiness. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that and how that works. It went on, it says, now that faith has come, we are no longer under, under a guardian. So if you're trying, we see this all the time, uh, people put the Ten Commandments in their, in their yard. And I have no problem with the Ten Commandments. I have no problem with the 613 laws because there's way more than 10. I have no problem with that. I just have a problem with what people think it's for. And if we get that wrong, if we start trying to live by the Ten Commandments or challenging other people to live by the Ten Commandments, if we're trying to show people that it's impossible to do that so they find their need for a Savior, I'm cool with that. But if you're using the law for any other reason, you are misusing the law of God. So don't do that. So we needed a new heart. Um, the Bible talks about what, one aspect of the way he looks at us is we are trophies of his grace. So if you can imagine when the, when the world sees us, they don't see that we're good rule followers. They see that we're living like God, but we're not doing it because we're trying to follow the rules. We're doing it because God has given us a, a new heart. So let me read this. This is Ezekiel 36, 26. And this is what's really powerful. When, God, when we give our life to the Lord, he gives us a brand new heart. He changes the old heart and he gives us a new one. This is Ezekiel promising this when the Messiah would come. He said, this is God speaking. He said, I will give you a new heart. So the prophet comes, he says, this is what God sees all the laws that you're breaking. You, you're breaking them continually. You keep talking about how good you're going to do, but you never do it. So God says, I had that in mind from the beginning of time. And we mention this all the time. Um, the lamb was slain from the foundations of time. Before you ever existed and even did wrong, before Adam messed it up for all of us, right? Before any of that happened, God had a plan, a holy plan, and that's what he's looking at here. He says, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you. This is a very powerful thing. 
a new heart and a new spirit. He says, I will remove your heart of stone. That's the heart that could not follow the law. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you. Hear that? I will put my, when I put my spirit in you, that's what's going to cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. What he's saying is until you have a new heart, you try as you might, you cannot live a holy life. You can't. You can live an outward appearing holy life, which is what the Pharisees did. But Jesus said of them, he said, on the outside, you're beautiful. On the inside, you're full of decay and disgust like dead men's bones. So Romans 6 kind of talks about this prophetic understanding of Ezekiel. It says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin. Remember the picture is you couldn't follow the law, so you're slaves to all the wrong things you were doing. He said, you have come to obey from your heart. Remember, you used to have a heart of stone. Now you have a heart of flesh. You used to have a heart that couldn't obey. Now you've given a new heart so you can. He says, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. So he's talking about following out what, what Paul had been talking about in, in the letters. Verse 18, he says, you have been set free from sin. So how did you get set free? You got a new heart, and when you got that new heart, that new heart enables you to be free. He says, you have been set free from sin, and now you have become slaves to righteousness. So he said, you were serving, trying to, trying to obey the law, but finding yourself over and over again slaves to sin. And now that you have a new heart, Jesus has come, you put your faith in what he accomplished on the cross. That's trusting Jesus. That's getting saved. That's all the phrases that we use. But we got to come back to the biblical context and stop using language. It just, start, it just ends up having no meaning because we say it so much. But we understand that I used to be a slave to sin because I had an old heart that was stone. It was hard. It was encased in selfishness and my own earthly desires. And Jesus said, out of that evil heart, I mean, out of that heart comes every evil thing, right? But he said, something happened when you got a new heart. Now this new heart has the ability to now be a servant to righteousness. Now you can serve righteousness. So Romans 8, 12, we started out, if you see on the front of our, our sermon series, Romans 8 through 12 is kind of the foundation of scriptures that we launched this series with. In verse 12, Romans 8, 12 says this. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. It's an interesting word. Um, not many places in the Bible, especially in the, in the New Covenant, that God says, you ought to do this, Right? So think about this, 1 Corinthians, um, go read Corinthians. Corinthians was the worst church ever, right? <laughs> Paul admitted that he helped plant that church. I don't know that I would have done that. I was like, um, you know, Corinthian church, um, Apollos started that. I don't know, you know, I don't know if I would have admitted. It was so bad, like he said, so many things going on. You're getting drunk during communion, right? Can you imagine telling, hey, come to church with me. We have a really good time during communion, right? Um, the, one guy, he said he's sleeping with his, his father's wife. We don't know if that was a stepmother. We don't know if that was his, we don't know. We, we don't want to know, probably, right? But he said it's so bad. He said, you guys are so screwed up, even the world isn't doing that stuff. Like imagine that, the, that what the law had done had at least tempered the world to say, this is wrong, we ought not do this. These guys, were, they were doing those things and they were calling it freedom, Right? And Paul went after him, and when he did, though, this is what's interesting. Go read this, this book. It's, it's, it's eye-opening. Not one time did he say, you need to go back to the law. Thou he, not one single time, thou shalt not. He said, don't you know, as believers, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the place where the Spirit of God dwells. 
why would you try to combine God's spirit with a prostitute? <laughs> right? I'm, I read that, I was like, that, that can't be right. I went back and read it again. I've read it about a thousand times. It still says the same thing. It's not about the law. It's about grace, and we're going to get into that. Verse 14 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. It's a really interesting word. Galatians 5.18 kind of reflects this in a different way. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, um, Romans says you're, the, you're a child of God. Galatians says if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So it goes back and it says if you're going to be a child of God, you can't be under the law. You can't, it can't be an institution of just rules with no relationship but you, you can also be the, your father's son, right? You have to be your father's son or be under rules and regulations. Which one would you like to do? That's kind of what he's going at here. Verse 15 says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. So he's saying, when you gave your life to Christ, God's spirit took up, he took an indwelling place inside of you. Remember, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God's spirit comes and lives inside of you. He says, the spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves, so that you live in fear again, connected to the law, that if I break the law, God's going to punish me. And he goes back, he says, rather, listen to this, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Something about when, when you had this encounter with Jesus and you trusted in him as your savior and you welcomed him in and said, Lord, I want to submit my life to you. I want to come underneath your leadership. Submit, submission. Come underneath someone else's mission, Right? So he goes after this. He says, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, which was a term of endearment. It wasn't father in some disconnected relationship that you have with your dad, and now you've got daddy issues. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this was Abba, Father, sitting in his lap, leaning into him, looking in his eyes, and something about the way he loves you, right? He looks, it's not that he looks past your sin, it's that your sin was paid for. And he can look at you with all the affection that's in his heart and nothing is in the way because of what Jesus did on the cross. Is that how you see him, though, is a question that's helpful to ask. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. And we're going to get into this in just a second. Listen to this again. The Spirit himself, God's Spirit, testifies with our spirit. So there's, a, there's some kind of connection between my spirit and the Spirit of God who indwells me that they have a conversation if you're a believer, this is what happens. God's spirit is trying to testify to your spirit about something that is true. But you can hear, we're getting, think of it this way. Um, it's like radio stations. Most of you guys understand this. It's like, you know, WGOD is transmitting, WBAD is transmitting, and WOR. LD is transmitting, I had to make sure I spelled it right. <laughs> so you're getting from the flesh, you're getting from the devil, you're getting from God, and these transmissions are coming in, and the question is, who have you tuned your radio to, right? Because if you tune it to WBAD, all he's ever going to do is accuse you. You're never good enough. Look at you, you're a Christian, and you're doing these things. He's the accuser of the brethren, not the accuser of who, who wishes they were brothers, but the actual brothers. Get it? He accuses the brothers, your family, but he actually, he talks to you as if you're not and tries to get you to believe that. And the world is just going, hey, here are patterns and things that you learned before you became a believer. Just go do these things. That's the world, that's what the world's transmitting. And the culture is telling you, you ought to do this. You ought to care about what people think about you in this regard or in this regard. It's either money or fame or fortune, but it's usually about self, right? So here's the thing. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we, our, we are God's children, so if you're listening, the Holy Spirit inside of you is going, you are a son. 
You have an inheritance, not because you've done well, but because you are a son. If you are a child of God, you are an heir of God. So the question is, how are you a son? Are you a son because you did everything right or because you were born into a family? That's how inheritance works. Verse 17, here's the thing before we get there. We can actually know that we belong to God. Our, the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit. We can know that we belong to God and that we have his inheritance. We're going to get to that in a second too. Verse 17, now if, if we are children, then we are heirs. It, he settles it. If you're not a child, you're not an heir, right? So you have to decide that. He goes on, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. That doesn't mean, people hear this all the time, they say the Bible says take up your cross and, and die daily, right? We, so we get this picture of woe is me, I just gotta take up, I just gotta suffer, suffer, suffer. So when the enemy brings suffering, the world brings suffering, we just say, well, that's our light in life, lot in life and we're just supposed to suffer. And my question is, are you taking up your cross or are you taking up Jesus' cross? Because it turns out he's already taken that cross. So if you're taking that cross, you're taking a cross that doesn't belong to you. But we do that and get this Messiah complex. I've got to whip myself. You know, I've got to beat myself into submission. Maybe not literally, but I tell myself, you know, you just better shine up. You better do better. You're not worthy. All these things, we listen and hear these lies, and we start to bring them in ourselves. And if we're not careful, we build our identity not on what the Spirit is testifying about us inside of us, but about what the world says and what the enemy says in our lives. So how do we do this? How do we walk in the Spirit? The Bible says if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's like, but you don't understand, I struggle with things. Really? As a Christian, you struggle. In a broken world <laughs> that's full of sin, has fallen, and you struggle with I wonder why that is. It's almost as if there's a battle. Right? Almost. So how do we walk in this? How do we, if we're going to keep from walking in sin, right? As a Christian, I want to get out of sin and quit walking in these patterns, these old ways of, of thinking, and walk in a new way of thinking. We know it's transformed. Something about our mind has to be transformed. We have to think differently. So how do we do that? So here's the, here's the easiest way to understand it is you have to understand the Spirit of God because He is our guarantee. He is the deposit for everything that God is going to give us through, his, through this inheritance, right? So it, there's a guy who was part of DCF for a while, and uh, he came up to me one day and he said, you're talking about all this stuff about the Spirit of God, and I don't know anything about this. And I'm like, uh, weren't you raised in church? He's like, yeah, but we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. I was like, what kind of church doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit, right? Like I say this all the time, it's like it's your crazy uncle Larry who lives in the basement. It's like, you know, we know we have him, but nobody wants to talk about him because he's different, Right? Some of you guys go, I don't understand. It's because you're Uncle Larry in the basement to your family, okay? <laughs> so, but that's the thing. It's like we don't understand the Holy Spirit. There's, there's literally a passage in the Bible that's so funny to me. It's Acts 19, 1, 2. It says, Paul arrived at Ephesus, right? Apollos had been there, and he arrives at Ephesus in the story. He says, and there, there he found some disciples, followers of Jesus, and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, right? And then they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, there are people, maybe this is you. Maybe you grew up in church, and you just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, right? Because he does those strange things, like the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially tongues. Super weird. So let's not talk about tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy and all that stuff, because nobody knows how that works anyway, right? It's just a big mess. 
<laughs> right? So Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers. Nobody wants an ignorant brother, right? <laughs> and that's what Paul was saying. I don't want you to be ignorant. So I'm going to teach you about the things of the Spirit, especially the gifts of the Spirit in, in 1 Corinthians 12. And he does that. And the Scripture is, is it's amazing in how much he talks about our inheritance through the Spirit. So here's the thing. The Bible says he is our guarantee. The Holy Spirit is. So 2 Corinthians, there's two passages that are almost exactly the same in two different books where Paul writes this. So, so follow me with this. This is 2 Corinthians 1.21. It says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. In other words, you can't stand firm in Christ without God. If you're trying to do it in your own strength, guess what you're doing? You're trying to follow the law again. You're trying to earn it, and it won't work that way. So it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ he anointed us, and he set his seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit or a guarantee of what is to come. In other words, God's saying, I, I, put, I put a seal on you. So that, original, that word in the original language is very, very powerful. It's, it's a, they did two things with it. They affixed an item uh, to a document to guarantee the genuineness. In other words, when they put that wax seal on there and pushed it, up, pushed it in there with the seal, it was guaranteed that it was from that person. You couldn't fake it, right? The second thing it did was it was attached to goods in transit to indicate ownership. Remember, I put my seal of ownership. You belong to me. And the way you know that is you have my spirit. I've given you my spirit as a guarantee, as a deposit, like you're buying a house. You put a deposit down saying, I'm promising to pay the whole thing in full, right? That's what you do. So he says it, it becomes a deposit and, and it indicates ownership. You, I own you. You are mine, but not in a weird way, <laughs> right? I own you because you're part of my family. I made you. You are part of me. So you are part of me. Ephesians 1.13 says almost exactly the same thing to a different church. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. In other words, you heard the gospel. He says, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, right? The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, until it's fulfilled, the Spirit of God in you is a guarantee, is, de is a deposit, and a guarantee that everything that God has for you as an inheritance belongs to you. So you can know, you can know. It's a pledge. There's different ways to say deposit. A pledge, a first installment. The first taste of the life of the world to come. The first taste of something new, something different. This is what the Spirit of God does. So here's an interesting passage that connects to this. This is in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, because there is a Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? Why did you receive the Spirit of God? Listen to this. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So often people, I, I, I shared this, my, the first sermon I started in this series, it's amazing to me how many people do not know what their inheritance is in God. We have people walking around who are believers who are in constant terror because of the economy. Constant worrying. Jesus says, do not worry. And we're like, no, nah, what he meant was, <laughs> you know what he meant? He meant, do not worry. 
Why? Because if you do, you are, <coughs> excuse me, you are living into the spirit of the world. When you look at the economy, when you look at politics, when you look at the wars and the rumors of wars, Jesus said, don't be dismayed. This stuff is going to happen. You live in a fallen and broken world. But I give you peace, right, that passes the world's understanding. So if you're not living in peace, you are flat out missing your inheritance right now. I'm worried about my job. Then you're missing your inheritance because your job is not what gives you an inheritance, the fact that you have the ability to make wealth, that you breathe, that you live, that everything that you do, the Bible says, in him we live and have our being. So your job is not your security. There is no such thing as security outside of an eternal security in God. Jesus, uh, new, numerous places, Jesus talks about this. Um, Paul talked about it. He said, don't fear men who can take your, your, your life, right, your physical life. Fear God who, after he takes your life, can put your soul in hell. That'll get your attention, right? <laughs> so the whole idea is if, you don't, if you're not thinking eternal, you're not going to know. If you, if you don't touch the presence of God and recognize what he has given you as your inheritance, and peace is one of those things. We're going to talk about that next week. If you don't know that, then what will happen is you'll walk in the fear of the world. And we sing that song, God has not given me a spirit of fear, right? A, a, a sound mind. God has given us all these things that we recognize as inheritance. But if you don't know the spirit of God and you're not in communion with his spirit and your spirit connecting, you're never going to walk in your inheritance. You don't have to. You can live your whole life as an immature child in God. I hope you don't, but you can. But you will never walk in your inheritance in God. And you're never going to see God do great things in your life because part of what God is wanting to do in, others people, in other people's lives is doing it through your life. But if all you ever think about is yours, your selfish mindset, and what you want out of life, one, this life is really, really short. And the older you get, the more you realize that's true. So this world is not what we're made for. He said, you're going to receive the Spirit who is from God so that you can know what has been freely given to you by God. So let's, let's take a deep dive into who is the Spirit of God. John 14 is a really interesting passage. Jesus said, I'm about to make you a promise. So we read this knowing the ending for the most part. These disciples did not. So their question was, what's going to happen when Jesus leaves? Right? He's talking about dying on the cross. Peter's like literally rebuked him, said, please don't talk like that. We need you here forever. You're going to live forever. We're going to live forever with you. And Jesus is like, I have a promise. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him. Listen to that. The world can't accept him because they can't see him and they can't know him. You don't have a new heart. You don't have the Spirit of God, and therefore you're not a child, and therefore you're not in, there's no inheritance. This is what he said. But as believers, but you know him. He's talking to the disciples. You know him, for he lives with you, and eventually, this is before what happened at, at Pentecost, he says he lives with you, which is the Old Testament version. The Spirit of God came on people and then left them. You see it happen all the time with the prophets. The Spirit of God came on the prophet, they prophesied, and then they were, they were there. Holy Spirit left. <laughs> so, well, he said he's gonna, you're going to know him because he's going to live with you. And then eventually, which is going to happen to us as believers, he will be in you. And then he says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So how does Jesus come to you? <laughs> right? 
So you're like, you know, you're, you're driving crazy and lose control, and you're like, Jesus, take the wheel, right? So how does he do that? How's he, Jesus, take the wheel. Never mind, I got it. Right? How does he do that? When you say, Jesus, take the wheel, what do you think that means, right? <laughs> it means that there is something that's going to happen when he comes and lives inside of you. You're going to have the ability to commune with the Spirit of God. You're going to know all the inheritance. You're going to work with him. You're going to hear his voice. You're going to walk in everything he says and does. You are going to have an inheritance, but you're also going to be an inheritance to other people. Remember, we said last a couple weeks ago, you are an inheritance and you have an inheritance. You're the inheritance of God, not just for you, for what God can do in you, but what he can also do through you. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, let's talk about the way we talk about him, right? We talk about him, like I said, if we talk about him at all, he's like the crazy uncle that lives in the basement because he does strange things. That's what we think. But here's the whole idea. When you became a believer, you did not become a believer without believing in the supernatural. You can't. You know why? Because the supernatural says, Jesus, who was dead, is now alive. He came back from the dead. God restored his life. Three days he was in the tomb, and he got up. Now, you cannot be a Christian unless you believe that. But somehow or another, we get saved into a supernatural thing and think that's the last time God wants to ever do anything supernatural in my life. Right? And I, I, would, I, would, I would challenge that many people who call themselves Christians are not Christians because they do not believe Jesus actually raised from the dead. They don't believe it. So you can't be a Christian without the supernatural. But here's what we do. We, we say the Holy Spirit, right? So some of us older people, um, <clears throat> I found out recently that I'm the last um, year of the X generation. <laughs> Depending on the poll, I picked the one I like. Um, or the first year of the boomer generation, right? So... Um, I'm somewhere in there. But here's what you, my dad says this all the time. He said, I had the COVID. And I said, Dad, you don't use the article in grammar, the, before COVID, right? Some, some of you millennials are laughing at me right now. Um, but you hear, the funniest thing you guys hear as millennials is when we say things like the Twitter, right? Because <laughs> you're like, no, that's not how that works, right? You don't know why it doesn't work that way. You just know it's, it's Twitter, <laughs> right? And, and you don't twit, you tweet. Anyway, I don't want to get into all that. But... <laughs> <laughs> but we say things like, we say the Father, right? So we use this article in grammar, we say the Father, but not the God, right? We say about the Son um, and the Messiah, but we don't say the Jesus. You see how that works? <laughs> so we do the same thing with the, with the Spirit of God, right? We say the Holy Spirit, and, and before you get all religious and have to change the way you think, you hear a lot of people say Holy Spirit, as if, he, as if he's a person. We say that a lot around here because, you know, he is and stuff. But, <laughs> but it's okay to say the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I don't want to get into semantics so deep that you, you, you feel religious and you've got to change the way you talk about everything, although sometimes it's helpful. But here's my point. The point is, he is a person. He is not the force. <laughs> right? He's not the presence of God. He's not a mist. He's like the wind, but he's not the wind. Understand, he's like oil, but he's not the oil. He is Holy Spirit. And so let me just talk about him as a person. So this is the online definition, the current version of a person. A person is be a being that has cap uh, certain capacities or attributes, such as reason, morality, consciousness, self-consciousness, 
being a part of a culturally established form of social relations, such as kinship, ownership of property, or legal responsibility. So that's true. God is a person in that respect. Theologians define it this way, an individual being with a mind, emotions, and will. Okay? So you are a person, and so is God. You see this all the time. God possesses personality, a personhood. So um, you see him expressing anger. He laughs. He has compassion. He loves. He hates. He teaches. He reproves. He leads. He does all these things, right? And then we recognize, if you've been around for a while, that, the, that God is three persons, a trinity, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so you don't have to understand this completely. I don't. I don't understand how my combustion engine drives or works completely, but I drive it every single day, right? So here's the thing. This is Isaiah 61. One, the Bible teaches this. It says the son is speaking while he's making reference to the Father and the Holy Spirit. Here's Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is repeated by Jesus in Luke chapter four, right? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So here's Jesus talking about the father and the spirit. Three in one, right? Matthew 3.16, God the Holy Spirit descends on God the son while the father proclaims his pleasure. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, not a dove, okay, and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So here's the, here's the son seeing the Holy Spirit like a dove descend and alight on him. Stay on him, by the way. Not like the Old Testament prophets, but stay. Not visit but live, right? And he said, the Father says from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Just a side note on this particular passage. Jesus had not done one single thing that we're aware of to show himself to be the son of God, to please God. He had not done one single miracle, right? He had not started his ministry. And yet the Father says, this is my son and I'm pleased. This is a picture, by the way, just so you know, of you and grace, when you become a son, he is well pleased with you. Why? Because you're his son. Not because you've done one single thing to make him happy. You understand this? The, the, the guy on the cross next to Jesus, there were two of them, two thieves. And one of them mocks him and the other one says, don't you understand? This is the son of God. You've missed it. This is the Messiah. This is the one, the, the promised one. This is the one we've been waiting on. Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise leaning into this man had believed in what Jesus was doing on the cross and he was probably going to be one of the first ones to really walk in what, what heaven was like, right? Because Jesus was dying on the cross that day. He didn't get baptized. He didn't go to church. He never gave a dime to the kingdom. He didn't do one single thing. What did he do? He believed in the one God sent. So God was well pleased with him before he ever did one single thing. That's just a side note. You're welcome. So here's one last one, Matthew 28, 19. <clears throat> Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three, right? 2 Corinthians, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What's he saying? There is not three gods. There's one God, but he identifies in personhood as three different persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So God the Father is a person with a mind, emotions, will. God the Son, mind, emotions, will. 
God the Holy Spirit is a person with a mind, Romans 8, 27, and he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit. Uh, emotions, Ephesians 4, 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He, he has emotions, and he has a will, Galatians 5, 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit doesn't want you walking in the flesh. He wants you walking in, in, in his Spirit. So here's a, a quote from A.W. Tozer that hopefully cements this for you. Spell this out in capital letters. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not enthusiasm. He is not courage. He is not energy or the force. He didn't say that. I just added that. He is not the personification of all good qualities like Jack Frost is the personification of cold weather. But that's how we think about him. Actually, the Holy Spirit is not the personification of anything. He has individuality. He is one being and not another. He has will and intelligence. He has hearing. He has knowledge and sympathy and ability to love and to see and think. He can hear, speak, desire, grieve, and rejoice. He is a person. But do you know that? Or are you like the ignorant disciples that Paul came across in Ephesus? We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Been in church my whole life. <laughs> so here's the thing. Ignorance is not stupidity. Ignorance can be helped. And I'm about to help you. <laughs> You're welcome. So he is God. Therefore, he is eternal. He is omnipotent. Omnipotent, we say in American English. He is omnipresent. Or omnipresent, as we say in American English. He is omniscient, understanding all matters. He can communicate, intercede, testify, comfort, guide, command, appoint. These are all scriptures that speak to what the Holy Spirit can do. He can lead. He can reveal the world to their, to reveal the world, their sin to our righteousness and to the devil as judgment. He seals God's promises in believers. He shapes the life of each person and community in Christ. We just read that in Romans. So here's people's response to him, and I want to challenge you. How are you responding to the Holy Spirit? If you are responding to him out of ignorance, you need to check yourself before you... I'm just seeing if you have TV, all right? So here's people's response to him. This is a negative way. His work can be hampered. People hampered the Holy Spirit. They, they, they pushed back against what he was trying to do. I know whole churches have said, we don't want none of that tongue stuff in our church. Not... We don't understand it, and we would like to know more so we don't get, fall into error. That I can understand. That's my heart. But to just say we don't want the Holy Spirit because he brings us stuff we don't like, who's in charge again? Right? So we can be hampered. He can be grieved. He can be resisted. Are you resisting the Holy Spirit in your life? He can be lied to and tested. He can be vexed or sorely displeased. He can be insulted, and he can be blasphemed. That's a frightening thing, right? But here's what else can happen to the Holy Spirit. And this is what I believe about you guys. He can be obeyed. When he speaks to you, that the Spirit of God communing, talking to you, testifying to you in your spirit, you can obey him. He can be waited upon. You can say, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I want your presence. I want to know what you're saying and doing in my life. Lord, I would love to know what you think about Rodney so I can pray for him, Right? Don't just tell me all the things he's doing wrong. He's, he's not going to do that anyway, <laughs> right? But he'll tell me about Rodney's identity, and I get words sometimes. I go, Rodney, this is what God, I feel like God is saying about you. And it testifies to him and his spirit. That's true. I've heard that too, right? He can be kept in step with. That's a big one. 
He can be pleased and he can be given control and he can be, hear this, lived by. You can live by the Spirit. Remember we started this sermon with, you have an obligation not to live in the flesh, but to live in the Spirit. So what does it look like to do that? Here's Galatians 5.22, and Karen mentioned this, what we're teaching our kids right now in kids' church. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faith. Every good thing is the fruit of God's Spirit working in you. If it's not, it's a counterfeit to get your way. You ever, you ever, anybody ever been ripped off? Just me? I'm the only, how'd you get ripped off? You actually, you believe something a salesman told me. I remember when I joined the Air Force, he said, you're going to love this. I did not love it. <laughs> right? He said, you, you are going to be a systems engineer working in missile systems. You know what I did for the first two years? I pushed a broom and cleaned a bay. That's what I did for the first two years. They wouldn't even let me look at a missile. Like, you're so ignorant, and you were educated in Alabama, so we're not even going to trust you for at least four years, right? So here's my thing. You, you can have the fruit of the Spirit. If not, you get ripped off because you're trusting someone who's being kind to you, but you're kind of sort of going, why are you doing that? Right? So you can live by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit of God will flow out of you because it's real and it's true. Or you can be a counterfeit and you can use the things of the Spirit. You can use these pictures of, you know, like religion is on the external. Like remember Jesus said about the Pharisees? He said on the outside, you look like this. You're beautiful like, you're like a garden, you know, like a tomb, like a, a graveyard. It's beautiful flowers, everybody, beautiful stones, grasses bowed and kept. But underneath and inside, this is what you're really like. And God's saying, I, I want you the opposite. I want, he said, if you change the inside, if you clean the inside first, the outside becomes clean. But what do you do with the law? You're trying to clean the outside. You're not really letting God get to your heart and to the real issue of the matter. You ever have the Holy Spirit come and go, hey, I want to talk to you about that. And you're like, ah, I'm the only one who's done that. <laughs> Don't you lie. That's part of what he's wanting to talk to you about. <laughs> right? So what do you do? You go, I don't want to do that. Why? Because I like my sin right now. Because my sin, it, the Bible says, is pleasurable for a season. All sin is like this. Missing God's mark can be pleasurable for a season. But the end of it is that that's part of what maturity is. Knowing I can eat all the candy I want today and throw up later, <laughs> right? Or have no nutrition in my system and, and my body begins to break down. Or I can eat my vegetables like, I'm, like the Spirit of God is telling me to do, right? And I can grow up healthy and strong. You get the picture. Another place, Revelations 2.29. He who is able to hear, this is talking about the churches, let let him listen to and heed what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. We do this as a church. We're constantly saying, Lord, what are you saying to us as a church? The reason why we're doing this, this um, sermon, uh, or actually this Sunday, where we're going to pray over our kids and pray over our families as our kids go back to school, is because we felt the Holy Spirit say this to us. It's not just go, you know what would be nice? I don't like doing you know what would be nice. It's a lot of work. <laughs> so I don't want to do it unless God's telling us to do it. So we are. But that's part of it is, what is God saying to you? Hey, I want you to get rid of this relationship. It's, it's tearing you down. Hey, this attitude you have about your heart, about yourself, about the fact that you're not worthy, this, this, this self-talk that you look, especially you women, you look in the mirror and you have this self-talk. I this, I'm, I'm this, I'm, I'm comparing myself to somebody who's plastic, <laughs> right? So 
God wants to talk to you and he's speaking to your heart, but are you listening? So lastly, let me just close with this. Romans 8, 12 says it again. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. You have this morning an obligation to live by the Spirit and you cannot do it in your flesh. You cannot do it in and of yourself. You have been given a new heart. You've been given God's Spirit and all of his inheritance indwells you. It's available to you right now. The the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal body. Somehow or another, there's a spiritual realm. Because I I was telling Karen literally on the way to, to church this morning, I said, I am blown away. My head cannot wrap around this concept of that we live and breathe and have our being inside of God. And yet God says at the same time that he lives inside of me. That I am the temple, even though all of us as temples live inside this great big God. That all of the universe, everything that has been made, was made by Jesus, right? By God, speaking it into existence. That, that means God is not made out of the things he was made. Or God is not made out of the things he made. Does that make sense? So the Big Bang Theory... Everybody thought this was a, oh, this is a, you know, against, this is against Christianity, this is against Jesus. Oh, no, no, no. It proved it without a shadow of a doubt. You know why? Because when, when um, Hubble discovered that, that the stars that he was looking at with this new lens that they had in the 30s and 40s was so far away and so distant, it had a reddish color, and the light reflected back was, in, was a red tint because the light was moving away. This, it's just physics, simple physics. Sure, you all understand. <laughs> I don't understand. I just know it's true. So, light moving away is red. Everything was red as he looked farther and farther out. Why? It's moving away. So, what did they did some math? Turns out that if it was moving away at some point, it was over here, and all of it was had come back to one moment in time where there was no space, there was no time, there was no matter, and then there was. That's the Big Bang Theory in layman's terms, right? So something that was made was not made from the same thing that it is. And yet somehow, God in that realm of the Spirit, somehow at the same time he is all that, has chosen to take up residence because of what Jesus did, and you believe in that, to take up residence inside of you. And he said, this is the promise of everything that I have available to you. All of that and all of existence that ever was for you, all of it belongs to you as an inheritance, not just for you, but to work through you for his good pleasure, is what Scripture says. So let me end it with this Scripture. This is Psalm 87.7. It says, As they make music, they will sing. All my fountains are in you. What an interesting thing. It's very poetic. Psalms always like this. But it's very poetic. But as they sang, it says, they make music, they'll sing, all my fountains are in you. So what do you think that means? It's the source, right? That's what they saw. Fountains brought water up, something they could not provide for themselves. It came from somewhere else, and it bubbled up, and it became available to them. So it's simply this. A source is a river sent from God, right? You see this? In the Old Testament prophets, he talks about a river. And he says, I waded out to my ankles, I waded out to my knees, I waded out to my waist, and I waded up to my chest, 
And so he's painting a picture of what you and I as believers are supposed to do. So here's my question to you, and I want to leave you with this this morning. How deep have you waded into the things of the Spirit? Are you standing on the edge of the river, going, all my fountains, singing a song, all my fountains are in me. All my fountains are in the law and me being able to do what I know I ought to do. All my fountains are in church, because DCF is such an amazing church and Dave's such a great preacher. All my fountains are in the pastor. All my fountains are in my amazing husband or wife or kids. Not like they're ever going to disappoint you. Or do you sing the song, all my fountains are in you? So wait out. Here's what's going to happen if you do this. So get ready for it. Because I've done this. <laughs> you wait out to your ankles and you're like, ooh, that's cold. It's weird. It's different. My little nephew, we went to Blue Springs. My, the oldest nephew, he was in the whole time, made new friends, playing football in the water. My youngest nephew, he's got like 1% body fat, right? So he's like, he steps in, he's like, nope. And so he and I played cards the whole afternoon, right, in the shade. Because like, I ain't going in that water. That water is too cold. So here's the thing. It's only weird till it's not weird anymore. It's only cold till you get used to it. Once you get in it, it's, it's, it's invigorating. It's cool. It's refreshing. It's all those things. But if you wade out to your ankles, never go any deeper, it's all, all you're ever going to think is that's weird. That's what most Christians, if, if we're honest, what mo- most Christians have done, waded out to their ankles, even if they've le- leaned in and said, I think I want to know more about the things of the Spirit. Oh, tongues. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> right? I'm just being honest. Right? Or you wade out to your knees, some people up to their waist. Some, here's the thing. Once you start getting around here to the chest, it's where that heart thing is, right? You start letting him really take control. Start living the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what happens. He sweeps you off your feet. And the place you walk into the river, you never walk out the same place again. And that's God's desire for you and for me, is to step into this river, this source called the Holy Spirit, who you live inside and who lives inside of you, to commune with him, to let him testify to you of all the inheritance that he has for you. You look at this world and all the things that you can get in this world. I want a, I want a nice house and a car and live in a good neighborhood, and I want you know, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Right? You can want that all you, all you want, but the only way any of that is ever going to happen is not because you're trying to get it in your own strength. It's because you've submitted to the ruler of the universe and his plan and his way for you. So wade out into the river. Go deep. Go deep. He wants to talk to you about the things that he's promised you. You're living in bondage to fear and, and brokenness and worry and all these stuff that we're worrying about that in eternity is going to make one hill of beans difference. It's just not worth it. So I want to pray over us. And as we do, we talk about this inheritance in Christ. There's something that's made available not just to you, but once it begins to happen, God's desire is that as you begin to live, what do you think he's going to do? You think he's just going to go, Dave, you don't want you to live in a monastery so you can avoid all, all the trouble in the world. Jesus said, I want to promise you something. In this world, you will have trouble. But be confident, be at peace, be amazed, because why? I have overcome the world. Not you. You didn't overcome the world. 
with all your strength and passion and, you know, ability. No, no, I've done that. And the only way you're going to overcome the world is to submit to the one who already has. Amen? So, Jesus, we love you this morning. We say thank you. Lord, what a beautiful inheritance we have in your spirit. Lord, there's, there's such longing. Um, Lord, there's the kingdom come that we see already, see evidence of what you do and work in and through us. And Lord, there's also the promise of something even greater that we can't see. So the kingdom come and the kingdom not yet come. Lord, we live in that tension and that dilemma. But Lord, the more we lean into you, the more we're swept off our feet into this river of the things of God, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts and the ministry of the Spirit, Lord, the power of your Spirit, the peace that comes from walking, Lord, having heard you and clearly know that it's true. So Lord, I pray, my biggest prayer this morning is that everybody who hears this, Lord, that they will submit themselves to you, Holy Spirit, and let you speak into them and testify of all the things that you've given us as an inheritance. And Lord, that we would begin to walk in them in deeper measure. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. We're happy to pray for you. If you have a need up here this morning, we'd love to pray for you. Our team will be here. Otherwise, have a wonderful, wonderful week.